We're looking tonight in the book of Job, if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you, chapter 21. The book of Job, chapter 21, for two verses this evening. And then I'll ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. That's chapter 18. Job chapter number 21. And then Luke's Gospel, chapter number 18. We'll take our text there this evening. I don't have two sermons. I just want to ask you to turn to these two places. I was in a meeting some time back, and there was a a man of God that's been preaching about as long as I've been living. And uh, he's a unique preacher. I've never heard him preach that I didn't hear from God through his message. Sometimes he'll read a lengthy passage of Scripture. Oftentimes he'll read a couple, three passages. He said someone asked him why he read so much Scripture before he preached. In that unique way he has of expressing himself with that deep, urgent voice, he said, sometimes I'm looking for a sermon. (laughs) And then he said, other times I'm trying to get up courage to preach the one I got. (laughs) So I don't know whether I'm looking or trying to find courage tonight, but I want to call to our attention passage from these two places. In the book of Job, the 21st chapter, I just want to ask you to think with me about a question here. And I really want to be involved in the text that I use. It'll just simply be a question about the subject. Job is reporting to us what others were saying about God. You'd study the context. He, he brings into focus the, what the wicked, he calls them, these that were vile and ungodly and wicked, uses those terms to describe them. They said this about God, verse 14 and 15. They say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto Him? Think with me about that last question. Ask in contempt. But it's a question that gripped my attention some few years ago, the first time that God seemed to lay hold of my own heart with this question, and I brought a message from here. I entitled the message, Why Bother to Pray? I repeat, they're asking it in contempt, but it's a question that we should ponder. What profit should we have if we pray unto Him? Does prayer make any difference? Does prayer do any good? Keep that in mind, please, and turn with me. Luke 18. Our Lord has given to us tonight one of the two parables that He gave on prayer. Both of them are in... Luke's Gospel, and some of his parables are not that easily understood. You've got to search for the key that opens the door, but this time he hangs the key at the front door. He wants us to get the truth of this little story, so he hangs the key at the front door and tells us why he gives the story before he gives it. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray 
and not to faint. I have a message I entitled from that text, Prayer or Despair. He's, he's telling us that either we're praying or we're fainting spiritually. We've lost heart. We've thrown in the towel. We're falling on our faces spiritually if we're not praying. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. They tell me the idea behind the expression, if you had a bridge tonight and uh, the support all of a sudden gave way and the bridge caved in, that's the idea. Spiritual, just a cave in. We just collapse. Lack of prayer causes us morally and spiritually to have a collapse. We cave in. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Then he gave this little story, would have perhaps been more meaningful to him in that day than it, uh, than it is to some of us in this culture, in this age, but he's enforcing and encouraging the idea of praying and not losing heart. He said, there was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith? And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? We bear long with him. I tell you that he'll avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. We'll say something about that last expression in a moment, but don't miss it. That's the key of what he's talking about. He's not asking, of course, will he find anyone saved when he comes back. He's coming for his church. Leave his question in the context. Literally, he's talking about, will he find this kind of faith? The kind of faith that hasn't given up, that hasn't quit. You see, prayer is an expression of faith. As long as a man believes, he'll pray. When he quits believing, he quits the prayer place. And so the Lord, after encouraging us to pray, he raises the question, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? Let's bow, please, for just a moment of quietness now. And I'm going to ask you to join with me again this evening. Would you pray something like this? Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I'm open. If you just from your heart, just give him permission to say what he wants to say to us tonight. Our Father, <clears throat> we're grateful indeed for the privilege of being gathered together in your house. And we are reminded already this evening the verse you've brought to our attention where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. And we pray that you will be pleased tonight to just take control. Be Lord of this service. I pray that you'll open our hearts and cause us tonight to be receptive and be open and be responsive to everything that you say to us. We're grateful for the good music. We thank you for the privilege of, of tonight having the, the touch of God in the music. You've blessed our hearts as you've just been pleased to bless these that's blessed us. And now we ask you to take your word and as seed may it fall into hearts that's open 
like that ground that's good ground you tell us about that will receive and bring forth a harvest for the glory of God. We need Thee. We depend on Thee. And we are blessed you for it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to take a, what I'm calling tonight a little backdoor approach to this text. I'm not given an exposition of this Scripture, though I oftentimes preach from here and base the entire message on these eight verses. But I want to close the message as the Lord leads tonight with this text before me. I'm going to ask you to think with me about at least four other verses before we come back to this one this evening. What I have on my heart this evening, the Lord impressed me in a very vivid way. Some, well, it's been a while back now. I was in a large city in a western state and uh, talking with a pastor of a church that has experienced real revival. I mean by that, more than just a, a series of meetings, God has given them a genuine revival. And uh, I've been knowing about the ministry there for some time, the former preacher. Revival broke out there a few years ago in that place in such a wonderful way. I have a, over a hundred books on the subject of prayer on my shelves, and I'd put his book with the top five on the subject of prayer, and he tells about when he was there, when revival came to their fellowship, as he calls it. He said more happened in six months after revival came to our people than it happened in 12 years prior to it. I repeat, I was there some months ago. I visited with the pastor. He shared with me what God was doing there now. And he said to me, he said, Brother Hurt, there was a time, and he re uh, referred to it. And uh, in his own words, he said, when it became business as usual, we lost the touch of God. Things wasn't happening or happening. Or, and he said, thank God, are happening again. He meant by that lives are being changed. Souls are being saved. Wednesday night, he said, they fill this place up on Wednesday night. He said, we have to have two services Sunday morning to handle the people coming here. I said to him, in just a statement, tell me, I know it's God blessing you, but I know that uh, there's conditions that's, that's being met. I said, just in a statement, tell me, what's the secret of this place? And he pointed like that. And one of the latest additions to the building program was the building right over it says intercessory prayer ministry. He said, somebody prays over there all the time. I said, oh, he said, round the clock they pray over there. He said, they come there and pray all the time. We have a ministry, intercessory ministry, hundreds of people involved in That's a large place there. And he said, round the clock. He said, you go over there now, and there's rooms in there, little booths in there. And there's people in there praying. He said, they take prayer seriously. And he said that with emotion in his voice, obviously, gratitude in his heart. But he said this, and here's what I want to pick up on tonight. I asked him, I said, without, you know, being too personal and embarrassing him or anything like that, I said, really, was you aware of what happened when it became business as usual? In his own term, he said, we lost that, that unusual touch of God. He said, yes, sir. The day came when we had to clear the way in order to pray. He said, there was barriers got in the way. 
quoted a couple of verses. Later I found that Jeremiah says, when I cry unto him, he shutteth out my prayer. David gave a warning, or Peter gave a warning, says, lest your prayers be hindered. I never got away from that. He said, preacher, we had to clear the way in order to pray. I repeat, God used that to take hold of my own heart. And searched those two expressions out to see what he was talking about when he says, He shutteth out our prayer. What David meant, or rather what Peter meant when he said, He lest your prayer be hindered. And what David meant, if he said certain thing happens, He'll not hear me when I call unto Him. I want to speak to you tonight on five prayers God will shut out, won't even listen to, He'll ignore, He'll pay no attention to. My last pastorate, we need the miracle from God, nothing short of a miracle. I'd been there before. Someone introduced me the other evening, said Brother Hurt has pastored four churches. 28 years he's been in the ministry, said he's pastored four churches. Well, I didn't, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't say anything about the service, of course, didn't embarrass the pastor. He, 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 he thought I had pastored four churches. And I said to him after the service, I said, no, I've only pastored two churches. But I've pastored them both twice. So you might have to figure that out. Amen. But uh, I've, I've pastored both of those churches twice in the 28 years I've been in the ministry. And uh, the, the second pastorate, uh, I went back there for the second time and spent five years and left there three years ago. And I went there. They called me. I was in uh, I was in Chilhowee, Virginia, where our friend is now. I was there in a motel room preaching in that area. And a cousin of mine went to that church, and he called, and he said, Brother Hurt, could you find on your schedule to come preach for us? And we got together, and I was there in a couple of weeks for a weekend. Oh, that church had been over 800 at one time. Uh, that church used to run consistently five and 600. And uh, God's power was on that place. Preacher that followed me there when I left the, my first time there built a new auditorium and they filled that place. I walked in there and there was less than 40 people that Sunday morning. About 20 of them came on the bus. They had to have right at $3,000 a month for one payment plus the other thing. Offerings were running to all. They was having five and $600 a week offering. Churches split up in two ways, and two churches had started out of it in a community of 15,000, and both of the splits was larger than the home church. I don't say that to put anyone down. I want to illustrate something. I preached that day, and we lived over in Indianapolis. I still live there, about 25, 30 miles from, from that church. And uh, on the way out, my cousin and another one of the men said, uh, said, Brother Hurt, God wants you to come back here and be our preacher. Oh, I said, I don't know about that. <laughs> and uh, on the way home, our youngest, she's what, 24 now, Becky was in the, she was sitting in the back. She said, Dad, surely the Lord's not leading you back out this direction, is He? <laughs> My wife answered quickly, oh no, she said, He's not. <laughs> but I went back and preached that night, and I say there's 25, 30 people there, and God broke my heart. I know who I am, so I'm not calling attention to Wilbur Hurt. I just want to state something. God broke my heart that night. They said, Preacher, we want you to come. God wants you to come. And I did. I went back and stayed five years with them. We had to have some miracles from God. We started, God wouldn't let me hardly preach on anything but prayer. I was looking over the 
catalog. I have a brother that's a printer and he's putting some stuff in print for us. And, and he cataloged the tapes and putting out a catalog. And uh, I wasn't aware that uh, while I was there in those five years, I preached over 75 different sermons on prayer. Some of them were overlapping, but it was that many messages on the subject of prayer. And I preached on prayer almost every service. I mean, for weeks and months around it. I canceled every outside engagement. We'd, we'd meet every morning for prayer. We'd meet every night for prayer. And just had to have a miracle from God. Well, without me just standing here and, and appearing to toot my own horn, and you bear with me a moment, I know, I repeat, I know who I am. But God began to put His hand on that place. God began to, oh, it's just, you couldn't hardly believe. I mean, especially in the financial realm, what God began to do. Begin to see some people get saved. Begin to see some people that had fallen by the wayside get restored. Begin to see some people that were still around there, had bitterness, ill will, bad spirits about them. And when God began to work, all of that began to break down. God began to visit that place. Well, after a few months of preaching on prayer, there was one fellow, he was not a member there, but he called it his church. He came pretty regularly. Uh, without me being real ugly toward him, let me just put it this way, uh, just sort of, you know, an outspoken kind of a fella. That sounds better than just saying blunt. And uh, he, you know, and uh, one evening back there at the door, he said to me, he, just, he said, I need to speak with you, Justin. Don't take a moment, preacher. Well, I said, would you mind waiting a minute? Let me shake some hands and, and we'll slip in the pastor's study and I'll be glad to speak with you. Well, he said it won't take me but a minute. Well, I said, if you don't mind, I prefer you to wait a minute because... You know, I'd spoken with him before, and he could do a lot of damage in a minute. Amen. <laughs> didn't take him but a few minutes. He'd tear up something. And so we had some guests standing around talking to me. So after the, the greeting the folks, we stepped in. I flipped the light on the pastor study, asking to be seated. And he said, well, I really don't know what to, how to put this. He said, I don't want to offend you, but he said, uh, he said, well, he said, here's what I, here's my conclusion about prayer. You've been preaching on prayer around here since you've been here, and I, I would guess three, four months has passed. He said, prayer don't work. In his blunt, characteristic manner. I said, really? He said, yeah, that's, that's my conclusion. I said, it, am I understanding you? You, you mean for me to understand that you say, you think that it, we may as well have not even prayed and these days of prayer and fasting and waiting on God, it's a waste of time? It's what the cynic over in Job's day said. Well, he said, that's, that's what the conclusion I've come to. He uttered it again. But God says, if you need wisdom, ask him and I shout up a prayer for some wisdom. Amen. I said to him, when we came in this pastor's study and I flipped that light switch on and the, and, the, and the light hadn't come on in this pastor's study, would you be prepared to tell me electricity doesn't work? Electricity has failed? He said, no, sir. If you'd have flipped that switch on and that light hadn't come on, he said, a sensible person wouldn't say electricity doesn't work. I said, what would a sensible person have said? He said, a sensible person would say something is disconnected. I said, you're going to get my point before I get there. Amen. <laughs> He'd already said to me, you preached on promises of prayer and the power of prayer and the privileges of prayer and the possibilities of prayer, the pathway to prayer, and on and on. I'd put it in a kind of an outline form so people get a hold of it. 
But I said, where was you at when I preached on problems connected with prayer? Do you know there are some prayers God says if you pray in them, God has already said no to them. God said, I'll shut that out. God said, I won't listen to that. Oh, prayer works. And he says, we can have this double certainty. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petition. No guesswork about it. We have in possession the petition we ask of it. If we met his condition. But you see, there's prayers, I repeat, there's prayers not only God promises to answer, there's promises God, prayers God promises not to answer. Could be tonight we're praying. A prayer that God's Word is already clear on. He says, I'll just shut it out. I can't even listen to it. Not in the sense of answering it. I give them to you. Just an old homemade sermon outline tonight. You've already, you'll recognize that in a moment. Let me suggest to you with a key word for each one of them. And then we'll illustrate this last one. And we'll come right back to where we started. And you'll have the message tonight. I'm going to be honest. I, out of the, someone asked me, he said, Brother Hurt, out of the messages, God let you share those five years there in that church that you're putting in a catalog. He said, is there any, any mess, one message that God helped you above others? And I thought about it a while and I said, well, I'd have to answer that putting two or three messages together. But I said, uh, this would be one of them right here. I can honestly say in the fear and presence of God that when he began to show me uh, the truths of what's before us tonight, it was indeed an encouragement and a help to my own needy heart. And so I just mentioned them tonight. Isaiah 59 is the first prayer that we'll get a no. God will shut out. God came to his people through his prophet. And they were in need. They were in great need. And yet God wasn't helping them. God wasn't able to reach them at the point of their need. And so God sends His Word to His people through His man. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 said, The Lord's hand is not shortened. See, the problem's not on God's side. Said, The Lord's hand's not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Clearly in the Bible, God says to us, listen, if this kind of prayer is coming from your heart, God says, I won't listen to that. God said, I won't respond to that. Now let me just put it in a little outline form tonight. The first one I suggest to you is what I'm calling sinful praying. You say, what do you mean, Brother Hurt? I mean offering a prayer to God when there's unconfessed sin in my life. When I know there's sin in my life I haven't repented of. When I know there's something wrong in my life toward God and I'm still attempting to talk to God and come to God and have access to God and yet I know there's sin there, God says, listen, I'll shut that out. I won't hear that. I'll turn my face away from you. God's hand, God's arm, God's that, that has reference to God's power, as I said last evening. And he said, my hand's not shortened. I haven't, I haven't limited my power. That's not the reason I'm not reaching to where you're at, he's saying. He said, I haven't plugged up my ear. My ear's not dull and heavy. Oh, he says, it's your sins, not your neighbors, not your companions. It's your sins, he said, has caused God to hide his face. He said he will not hear. Psalm 66, 18. David says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. To regard means to tolerate it, excuse it. Literally, my teachers tell me it means to be in sympathy with it. I mean, something you take up for. Something you look lightly upon. 
If God calls it sin and we tolerate it and call it something else, God says, oh no, you can just, you're just going through a little rigmarole. You may as well not even get up early and try to meet me. I won't hear you when you call. That dear man, God help him, that talked to me there in that pastor study. He is as uncommitted as uncommitted could be. Worldly as he could be. Why he wasn't serious, critical as he could be, divisive with everybody he got around, had the audacity to, to meet with a preacher and to try to rebuke him and say, God doesn't answer prayer. And yet not aware that God says, listen, there's conditions you must meet if I'm going to hear you and answer you. Well, prayer does work. But it works in connection with the principles that God gives us in His Word. Remember back there when God's people was going from victory to victory? And all of a sudden, a little handful of people, comparatively speaking, a little place called Ai, after they've won such a victory down here at Jericho, and those mighty walls have fallen, and now they go out here to, a, I repeat, a little insignificant crowd, and they lose 36 men, and the man of God falls on his face. And you know what God said to him? God said, you get up off your face, quit your praying. I'm talking about the kind of prayers God won't answer. There was mighty Joshua. There was that leader for, uh, of God's people. And he falls on his face and attempts to talk to God. And God said, no, Joshua, I'm sorry. It's no time for prayer. I'm not going to listen to your prayer. There's sin in the camp. Sinful praying gets a no. Oh, tonight, that thing that God's bringing to your attention right now, you, you, you may feel that no one else knows about it. I tell you, God knows about it. And prayer just becomes a little routine and no heart in it when you and I are not right toward God. Sinful praying gets a no. There's another one. Our Lord mentions it Himself. It's in Mark chapter number 11. Mark's gospel, the 11th chapter, our Lord brings prayer into focus here. And he says, when you stand praying, verse 25, that's, was a familiar posture that the people of that day would have, uh, he'd, they'd got a hold of this immediately. A Jewish male would stand oftentimes praying. He'd lift up his hands toward heaven. That's what Paul had in mind. He's talking about lifting up clean, holy hands. So he says, when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Uh, he's talking about prayer again. He's talking about people's already got a Father. He's not telling them how to get saved here. That's not the, that's not the issue. That's not the subject. He's talking about a child coming to his father and attempting to get the ear and the heart and the, and the help from God. And Jesus said, when you come into his presence, and if you're aware that you have all in your heart against any, he says, if you refuse to forgive, then of course your father just shuts your prayer out. He doesn't listen to you. He doesn't answer you. For my outline tonight, I'm using for the second word, not only sinful praying, of course, this would still be under that heading, but I want to change the word. I want to call it spiteful praying tonight. When I've got ill will in my heart, spite in my heart, unforgiveness in my heart. If I tonight can think of anyone that I feel is wrong to me, and maybe in fact they did wrong me, but if in my heart God knows there's a lack of forgiveness and kindness and, uh, and there's, there's some ill will and spite is the word that I'm using, maybe malice, maybe bitterness, God says, no, I can't hear you. 
was preaching, where was I at? Uh, near Atlanta some time ago, and a dear man, I, I knew him in another state. I've preached for him. He's not pastoring now. He's not in the ministry. Hadn't been for a while. He came and knelt over here. I preached that night out of Hebrews 12, which says uh, we need to be careful lest a root of bitterness spring up and then many be defiled. I preached that night on the on the bondage of bitterness. And I don't say this to put him down. I say it to illustrate. And I commend him for his openness. He wanted to speak with me there at the front beach after we after the service was over. And he said, Brother Hurt, I told my wife while you was preaching, if there's ever been a message tailor-made for a person, God sent that message that came through you from God to me tonight. And he could hardly talk for weeping. He said, I'm out of the ministry, Brother Hurt. He said, I've discouraged my wife and they have a, a daughter still lives at home. And he said, uh, they can hardly stand me. He said, as you was talking about tonight, about that root of bitterness springing up and many de- be defiled. I said, I understand that word defile means as if you'd take some ink and, and take an inkwell and just pitch that ink on the, the whitest garment in here. That's the idea. It's indelibly stained. You can't hardly move it. That's what that word defile, bitterness just stains everybody. Wherever you go, you're just staining people and pull them down. He's there. He phrased himself by saying, Brother Hurt, I'm a bitter old man. Now I disagreed with part of that, I told him. He's not an old man, he's just 60. <laughs> That's not old, amen. And I'm not far from there myself, but I said, I wouldn't agree you're an old man. I used to think ever, when you got 50, is ready to be turned out to pastor. I changed my mind three years ago, amen. But uh, it was obvious he's bitter. I mean, if we know how to look for it, you can hear it in the voice, see it in the face. Bitterness will destroy us. I said up to north of where I live, on up in the Michigan area not long ago, I said if there's any human emotion, negative human emotion, that I, could, that I would call a skunk emotion, it would have to be bitterness. After the service, one brother said to me, had a puzzled look on his face. He said, I, I liked your sermon. I said, you lost me there about that skunk emotion. He said, I don't understand what you mean. I said, you know what a skunk is? <laughs> oh, he said, I know what a skunk is. Then I said, just tell me. I mean, immediately when I ask you, I said, uh, what, what's, what comes to your thinking if I ask you to describe a skunk to him? He said, he's that creature that's repulsive. Well, bitterness is like that. You get bitter and you'll repel everybody. Across the street to, to keep from coming in, pre- in your presence. Nobody wants to be around me if I'm bitter. He's preaching over in Terre Haute. One of the deacons was pastor. He is with me. He was coming back out from uh, churches in the country, coming back over Interstate 70. And he just, he's the kind of fellow, he's re-preaching my sermon. He writes the outline down. And he's going, Brother Hurt, boy, I like this. And I like that. And he just, you know, going over the message with me. And I saw a little animal run across in front. And I tried to miss it. And I felt him on the car. And I said, oh my. I ran over a rabbit. I, I'm... I said, I never, I never want to hit a little animal like that. I hit a rabbit. No, Bob said, oh, no, it wasn't a rabbit, he said. <laughs> he said, would you close up my vent? That's a skunk. And he and said, I believe he's up under here. <laughs> and the next night was our Thursday night midweek service. They had a place there that said, pastor's parking. I'd pulled up there and I would be in my study before service started. I came out, came to the platform on the deacons, walked up and called me over to, over to Rio. He said, would you give me your keys? I want to take your car and put it on the alley back there. said, I'm afraid folks won't come in tonight. That's a day later. That's what I mean about a skunk emotion. 
You can't hardly, people can't hardly stand you or me when that kind of emotion is gripping us. So repulsive. Jesus said, you want your prayer shut out? You have a spiteful prayer. You have ill will in your heart, unforgiveness in your heart, and you're kidding yourself if you think you've got a prayer life. And that person you've been thinking about is probably the one you ought to go home and call. Maybe make some contact tonight, write a letter or something. Where I've seen immorality and some other things hinder churches where I would say one. I've seen, I would guess, 25 times to one where bitterness and attitudinal problems and people that can't get along with each other keeps revival away from fellowships. Spiteful praying. Well, I mentioned just these other two and illustrate the last one. You're an easy people to speak to. The third one is what I call selfish praying. James brings this truth into focus. James says, he talks about two kinds of people there. One of them was the people that didn't even pray. says, we have not because we ask not. Most of us fall into that category. The reason God don't answer prayer, we don't even have a prayer life. We just fail to even pray and wait on God. But then he talks about another crowd. The one crowd, that, that was unasked prayer. And the other crowd, they had the problem of unanswered prayer. He said, some, you have not because you ask not. Others, he said, you ask, but you ask amiss. It may be consumed up on your lusts, your desires, selfish desires. Not bringing God's will into focus. Not bringing God's glory into consideration. Just what they wanted. Self-centered praying. Selfish praying will get a no. There's a fourth one tonight. Not only sinful praying, spiteful praying, selfish praying, but I call this one skeptical praying. Our Lord has this in mind in Matthew 21, 22. He says all things. Notice how inclusive this is. All things whatsoever you ask in prayer. But here's the key. Whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe Him. You shall receive. Of course, the opposite of that is unbelief. opposite of that is what I'm calling skeptical praying. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The, text, the Scriptures tell us. It says, He that cometh to God must believe that He is. And he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So skeptical praying, praying but not even believing. You want to gauge your faith tonight? How strong a prayer life do you have? I repeat, if you believe God's going to do something, you keep on praying. That's why he gave that parable. That woman, I mean, he's not saying God's like that judge. The, the, the truth is in contrast. But why give the parable? Spurgeon, I, I love the, the, the preaching and the teaching of, of Spurgeon. He's one of my heroes of history. Spurgeon says what that parable has in common with prayer, he says half-hearted praying always goes home empty-handed. He said as long as you mean business, you'll persevere, you'll keep on praying. And God says we not only must believe that He is, but He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, wholeheartedly seek Him. Some of us say, Lord, send a revival, but if it don't come, it don't disturb some of us. We don't lose any sleep over it. We don't get burdened very much about it. Lord, would you do this? But somehow it doesn't seem there's no earnestness, no heart in it. Jeremiah would say, they that seek Him and search for Him with all of their heart, he said, that's those that will find God. It's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. And then he brings into focus Elijah. Said literally, and you Bible students know this, it literally says there, he prayed in his prayer. He didn't say a prayer. I mean, he prayed. 
Man, his heart was in it. And God reaches back in the Old Testament and brings him into focus in the New Testament and said, here's the, here's the prayer uh, pattern I'm going to give you and the encouragement I'm going to give you. And what kind of prayer is it that availeth much? I was in a Bible conference some time ago with my friend, Brother McComas. Dr. Kenny McComas is a tremendous preacher. And he took a text there and preached on that kind of prayer, availeth much. And Dr. McComas said, someone says, how much? Well, he said, how much do you need? That's how much. I mean, what can we trust God for? How big is God? God says, you call. I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. He said, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. Dr. John R. Rice, a couple, three years before he went home, preached in our area and he preached on that text. Open your mouth wide. God says, I'll fill it. He said, if you want to get a big bite, you better open your mouth. <laughs> oh, some of us tonight, in our approach to God and in our praying, I, I read a book, and, and the title of the book by the English writer, and it really gripped me. Your God is too small. Oh, I tell you, that gripped my heart. How big is your God tonight? You can actually evaluate what you think about Him as you bring your prayer life into focus. What are you trusting Him for? What are we waiting on Him for? What are we beseeching Him and pleading with Him for? Do we believe He's big enough to do that? That's above what we even ask or think? Paul says He has that kind of ability. I close with this. I said there was five prayers that God will shut out and say no to. We've already talked about sinful praying, spiteful praying, selfish praying, skeptical praying. All of those could be put on that same heading. The first one, but I wanted to give a different word so I could illustrate it a little better so we could kind of get a hold of them tonight. The last one brings me back to my text, but let me give you a verse out of the book of James. If you're putting a verse with it, it's James chapter 1. And verse number 7, James says, Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. Now, whoever that man is in that text, James says he shouldn't even think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. Without me going into a lot of detail, if you study the connecting verses, he is talking about prayer, talking about if you need wisdom, ask of God. And then he says, this double-minded man that he's talking about, James said he's like a wave of the sea. Uh, no stability. You couldn't depend on the wave. No, uh, no commitment he's bringing into focus. This, this double-minded, double-soul man, two-soul man. Only time this expression's used in the scripture. And it's just a fellow that doesn't mean business. He has no heart in it, no commitment, like a wave of the sea. James says that kind of uncommitted person shouldn't even think he can receive anything from the Lord. Now, I illustrate the opposite of that. This woman in this parable, Whatever else you'd say about her, I'll tell you one thing. As you study this and think about it, there's one thing you couldn't accuse her of. She was not uncommitted. You're talking about meaning business. Jesus, he has this wicked judge saying for her continual coming. I mean, she wouldn't let up. She just kept on coming. And Jesus is illustrating the truth. Men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to quit, not to lose heart. Can you recall you used to really have a burden for someone or something, but in honesty tonight, it's not there. You fainted about that. You've lost heart about that. And he says, no, that kind of prayer doesn't get an answer. Oh, can you recall 
when you used to be burdened maybe about God just doing something unusual for you, but now you've sort of settled down and there's no urgency about it, no real burden about it. That's why he's bringing this into focus. That last prayer that I, and I want to give it a, a word here, I'm calling it shallow praying. No commitment, no heart. Just half-hearted, indifferent kind of a praying. You know, Lord, send a revival. But I repeat, if it doesn't come, then I'm not burdened about it. Lord, would you would you save this person? But no, no real burden and perseverance and no waiting on God, no commitment about that prayer. I had the privilege of becoming the pastor of the church that we were talking about, some of you that was with us today over in Indianapolis, for the second time, this last one I talked about was in Greenfield, 25 mile east of Indianapolis. But in my first pastorate, I had the privilege of with uh, 12 other adults, we started the church. And uh, I was with that church five years and went to the other church. And then later, I went back to that church and uh, the church was in trouble. We were in an area in the downtown area that was deteriorating. We need the building and so on. And there was a small group of people out near the, the loop. The interstate had a, had a building, but with no people. And so God led us to put those two groups together. And we took the name of that uh, uh, that church that was out near the interstate, and God let me be there from 1975, that second time, till 1981. And uh, when I left there, we had a preacher working with us. He wasn't on the staff. He was just a preacher in our fellowship. He helped me as much as the other men on the staff. And uh, they called him, almost gave him in the night. They voted, probably seven or 800 people voted for him that night, and got almost a unanimous call. And God is blessed. I preached there just not long ago. They're in a different place now. And they have to have two morning services to handle the people. Probably that 11 o'clock hour, I don't know, 7 or 800 there. That 8.30 hour they were there. The balcony was filled that second hour. God has got His hand on that place. I say that to say this. At that place, God led me to start preaching on prayer. And we went there and there was a lady. And I, you'd have to really know her to get a hold of this. So I won't go in much detail other than just to illustrate my point here. She came one night after service. She said to me, Brother Hurt, she said, I was never taught prayer like you've been preaching lately. She said, I, I agree with it. You've given Scripture. But she said, I, I never was taught. I was always taught just to say a prayer. And, and, and said, you've been preaching on waiting on God, persevering, praying through. said, you preached on Jacob the other night only blessed him there. And she said, uh, God's beginning to show me that's why he hadn't been able to do some things for me. I, I never knew how to pray like that. And I'd preached that night, and she quoted my title to me. I, I'd talked that night on the subject, nothing lies outside the reach of prayer, but that which lies outside uh, the will of God. And I quoted our editorial. And she, with emotion in her voice, said, God encouraged my heart tonight that I could pray my children in the family of God. She said, I, I never ever knew that, you know, that, you could just come on to God and stay with God. And I've quoted where Dr. Rice had said, if you got a right to ask God one time for something, you've got a right to keep on praying until God answers that prayer. Stay with God. Now, I repeat, you'd have to know her. They affectionately then called her grandma. She still lives. She's in her 90s. They brought her the other night when I preached there to hear me. She's blind. They brought her to hear me preach that night. She was kind to me back there. And she brought this into focus, what I'm about to tell you and comment about it. She came to me, I repeat, and said, God has burdened me. And she said, God helping me by His grace, I'm going to do everything in my power to get my family saved. I believe she told me she only had one family member that was saved. She said, they love me. They'll come to church Easter or Christmas. But said, you know, as you know, they don't come to church with me. 
Her children were all married. She lived with one of the daughters. I'm guessing two or three months had passed. One of the men that worked with us, he helped care for the seniors. And he had said to me, uh, Grandma, and he called her by her last name. He said, I tell you, she she's really taking this business of prayer seriously. Oh, he said, you can't believe how that that's taken hold of her heart. I came in from a Bible conference on a Thursday and and uh, this associate met me and he said, Grandma down the street here, her daughter was here to see you a little while ago. And he said, was she upset? I said, really? What about? He said, she's upset at you talking about me. And I said, well, what, uh, man, what have I done to her? He said, she came representing her two brothers and the other sister and said, they, they all upset and said, they're upset by uh, your influence on their mother. And I said, man, alive, what have I done to her mother? He said, I told him, well, you don't understand. Your mother loves brother. And she said, yeah, I know that. But said, mom is about to go off the deep end of religion and said it didn't happen until Wilbur Hurt came to this church. And said, uh, we, we don't appreciate it. Said, mom is, she's been, uh, she's acting strangely. Said, Mom has always gotten up rather early, but said, now she gets up over an hour earlier than she ever has. And she gets her a cup of coffee and refreshes herself and goes to her room. And at least an hour and sometimes two hours, nobody can see her. We hear her in there. Sometimes she's crying. Other times she's, she's reading aloud the Bible and times we can hear her praying. And said, Mom takes at least one day a week and sometimes two days and doesn't eat a bite of food. And Mom's lost about 20 pounds. And we're concerned. You tell that preacher. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. That concerned me. Man, that associate getting red in the face. He said, man, she about to jump on me. I said, hey, I'm not Brother Hurt. Wait till he comes home. <laughs> well, that night I said to Grandma, I stepped back there for you. I said, I need to speak with you a moment. So she stepped aside. Now, you'd have to really know her to get a hold of this. I'm not saying she's rude, but she is a little outspoken. And uh, I said, your daughter was down. Oh, she interrupted. I know about that. And I quoted her. She said, don't you pay her any mind. said, worried about me going off the deep end of religion. She said, I told him I've never been more sane in my life, ma'am, right now. And said, worried about me losing 20 pounds. I said, hope to God I can lose 20 more. I need to. God hears this if I go in his presence this, this moment. I'm not sure how long, but I know it's less than three months. I baptized every member of her family. Every one of them. Over there at that church the other night, I, I was seated here and they got a big choir. And, and, and when I walked in and came up here to the preacher, there was that one son over here and there was a daughter-in-law here. Another couple's in that church. I preach in the church southwest of Indianapolis and that daughter that got getting upset, her husband, I baptized him. He leads the music in the church over there. I was up north of Indianapolis, up north of Kokomo, and a young fellow looked like all 28, 29. He greeted me after the service and said, Brother Hurt, you don't know me, do you? I said, I used to be your preacher a few years ago. I'm sorry. I don't remember your name. He's a grandson. He said, I graduated my Bible school up here in Hammond. He said, I'm pastoring. I want to get you on my schedule to come preach for me. And he said, Grandma prayed us all over here. You know what she said to me those Sunday night back there? 91, I think now. Feeble, blind, her voice with emotion in it, she, and she doesn't say, I praise or I thank the Lord. Her word is this, with that Alabama accent she still got. She said, I bless the Lord, Brother Hurt, that God let me learn there's nothing outside the reach of prayer but that which is outside the will of God. 
And then she said, you used to say, when we mean business, God means business. Well, do we mean business tonight? Or could our prayers be characterized as shallow, half-hearted? It'll lay me down to sleep prayer, but not much heart in it. Jesus said we ought to pray like that woman prayed. Oh, he says the Father won't ignore you. He'll answer speedily, but he don't answer till 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 he sees we mean business. See, when I'm just half-hearted and no faith and no diligence, oh no, impossible to please him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. All over the room, God's in this room tonight. I've, I've just shared my heart with you again tonight. You notice how I put it, I've been talking to my needy heart. God knows I wouldn't stand before his people and assume that I've arrived and subject like this. I said to him, sitting, seated there a moment ago, I said, Lord, I always feel my need. And I stand before your people, but I never feel my need as urgently as I feel it when I come with a subject uh, about talking with you and waiting on you and receiving from you. Oh, tonight, what would happen if, if God could get a hold of some of us indeed, bring us into that place of a walk with him in our prayer lives that indeed he'd rend the heavens and come. That dear preacher said, Brother Hurd, I used to preach about prayer. Talk about prayer. They said, one day it dawned on us, we're doing everything but praying. And said, when we really started taking prayer seriously, oh, he said, you can't believe what God started doing around here. You see, they got a good balance. They pray earnestly and wait on God, and then they go out with a message and talk to others for God. And God blesses that kind of combination. Waiting on God in prayer and going out witnessing for Him with His Word. Oh, he puts his he puts his smile on that. Now I've done what he told me to. After the first verse, Brother Ken will be here. My part's finished. You've been easy to speak to. You've been receptive. You've been open tonight. Now there's something about coming forward. Like I said last night, God said something to your heart, and you want to respond. Don't miss him tonight. You don't have to come forward. I'm aware of that. But there's something about coming forward. You just want to come talk to him, and out of your response of coming, you're saying, Lord. I've heard from you. I asked you to speak and I've heard and I'm responding and I'm coming asking for some help. I tell you tonight, oh, my heart cries, God, teach me to pray. Our Father, seal these truths to us. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please, all over the building. Page number? Page 408. 408 tonight. While we stand together, sing together, the pastor's coming. On the first verse, you want to talk to him? Don't wait on someone else. Come on, would you?